Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and Happy New Year to you all. This is the FPL podcast from Fantasy Football Community. I am Mark Jobling and with me is Sam Bonfield from FPL Family. Now, Sam, we both benefited from Cole Palmer's 18 points of last time, but had different fortunes regarding Captain C and Alphonse Ariola. So are you now at peace with how <laughs> Week 20 turned out? No. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Um, the captaincy, I was actually quite pleased with the captaincy, to be fair, until Monday evening. Like I'd captained Son because I was at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And generally speaking, I do like to captain somebody in a game that I am going to. I just think it adds another dimension to to the game that you're watching. And I was quite pleased. You know, he got, he got his goal and I was like, OK, well, he got more points than Watkins. So I was feeling quite positive because they were the decisions I was making. If I'm really honest, I was never really looking at Salah. For the captaincy it was always for me between Son and Watkins the Salah one is what it is I knew that if Salah hauled it was going to hurt a bit because I'd not captained him but I, I kind of made peace with that the goalkeeper situation I cannot make peace with I just can't I mean I've got the problem I have now is that I've got these two playing goalkeepers and you don't it's easy when one of them's Turner because you just bench Turner week upon week. But when you've got Ariola and Martinez, it's a much, much harder conversation. And I spent most of last week going Ariola, Martinez, Ariola, Martinez. And the Martinez fixture was nice. It was against Burnley. It was a home fixture. I was like, okay, I'm going to go there because I don't think Burnley, well, they've got less chance of scoring than Brighton, I thought, did. Um so I went there. The the one thing that was playing in the back of my mind with Ariola was the fact it was the last game of the game week and not having anyone playing in the last game of the game week does kind of put me off. Mm. But yeah, goalkeepers have been the bane of my life, Mark, to be quite honest. It's been one disaster after another. Ever since bringing in Robert Sanchez for a minus four, only for him to then get injured in that game, it's then been disaster after disaster. Had I just left all alone, I'd have been so much better off with my goalkeeper points. But that's where we are. Well, West Ham nil, Brighton nil was probably the least likely scoreline because until I think Arsenal kept a clean sheet against Brighton recently, but until then, every Brighton score avoided a nil all season. Like they scored in every game, conceded in every game. So a nil nil, yeah, of course. I mean, that that, that made a lot of sense, that decision, logically. Martinez yeah. against Burnley. I just think, you know, Martinez, and, and I bought Martinez in, rather than just doing the obvious transfer a few weeks ago, which was to get Dubravka, I was like, I'll spend a little bit more money on Martinez because Ariola still had that wrist ligament injury and Fabianski was still starting in in those games. And I was a bit like, when does Ariola get his spot back? Does Ariola get his spot back? Because Fabianski had, of course, kept a clean sheet whilst he was playing. So... In the back of my head, I was like, I just need somebody that I can really rely on. I didn't love the Newcastle fixtures for clean sheets. And that and that was right. You know, they haven't had clean sheets in that period since I bought in, since I brought in Martinez. But at the same, and Martinez's fixtures were so, so good. And they should have been 
there should have been just three weeks of clean sheets. And quite frankly, it bothers me immensely that there hasn't been because on paper, bringing Martinez in was 100% the right thing to do. In reality, it couldn't have gone worse. Mm. Yeah, this game, this game right now. Is it, but goalkeepers all season long have, have been torturing people. Like those who started with Pickford. <laughs> yeah. Kept four, four in a row recently, but everyone had ditched them by then. So, yeah. yeah. It's just, and then Ariel, I know for me personally, Dubravka, he was the third successive goalkeeper return on the bench. Yeah. Uh, and it's just... That's what I've been like with Ariola. He's been benched for the last three weeks. At least this time, personally, Dubravka was... I had started Ariola over Dubravka, so at least that sort of... That went the right way around. It went the right way, but it didn't look like it. At half time. In that Liverpool Newcastle game, it looked a lot different because uh, with Salah captain having his penalty saved by Dubravka, that was an interesting half time. But then, I bet it was, yeah, particularly with the Newcastle fan in you as well. It's like doubling up on the chaos. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was absolutely no expectations for that match at all. And then nil nil at half time did the worst thing, which was optimism, because mm. um, that never ends well. And yeah, four one. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, I I don't know with goalkeepers anymore. Like I started the season with Onana, that went terribly. I moved Onana to Ariola. He then went through that period where he wasn't keeping clean sheets, and I was getting more and more frustrated. And he wasn't great. Moved um, Turner out when he at, he'd lost his spot, and Ariola was injured for Sanchez, who then promptly got injured. Brought in Martinez, and have played the wrong keeper ever since. So it's been. It's been a cursed position for me, the goalkeepers this year. I look at them this week and I don't think it's any easier either to work out which one of them to play in reality. Um, I know I'll probably get it wrong again. So when it comes to a wild card, I do think I'll move away from having these two goalkeepers and just get one. Just have one goalkeeper, have somebody like a Turner on the bench again and move back to that system because it's just one less headache and one less stress. And I'm less annoyed when my goalkeeper blanks if it's Turner on the bench than I am when my goalkeeper blanks if it's Ariola or Martinez on the bench. Yeah, that that completely makes sense to me. It's 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 been even if even if there's an intention to use a transfer and a goalkeeper this week, there's so much going on in terms oh, so of so many uh, problems. There's sort sort like a lot of newsworthy items have happened since the last podcast, basically. So that that's Salah. Hall was his goodbye hall because both he and Son are going to be away on international duty for at least one, probably two game weeks. But mm-hmm. uh, keeping track of the progress of Egypt and South Korea, that's sort of going to be on the horizon. I and the impact that, that they have, their absence has on, on Spurs and Liverpool. Like I think watching Spurs in particular against Burnley in the FA Cup, the absence of some was really noticeable like in mm. terms of the attack and and obviously the circumstances at Spurs have now changed with the signing of a, a new a new member of the strike force in in Werner and I he's not in the game yet but I suspect he will probably be by the time this podcast goes out or nearabouts they tend to add them quite quickly um and obviously that will shift things around a little bit and maybe that gives Spurs a bit more potency going forward again which they definitely lacked against Bernie in the FA Cup. So losing Son and Salah is interesting just because one, they're going and you have to make the decisions about what to do with them. But I think that there was definitely a strong rhetoric ahead of the FA Cup ties to go, okay, well, I'll move from Salah to Jota or to Diaz and I'll move from Son to Richarlison or Kulisevsky or Brennan Johnson, if you if you like, and keep investment in those two clubs but actually the performances, particularly the Spurs one, really wasn't great. And Liverpool's performance against Arsenal, I thought, was okay. I didn't think it was a brilliant performance from Liverpool either. So when you're looking at kind of those attacks, it's it'd be interesting to see what managers do. Because now, as you say, with the injuries that have come up this week as well, we've got lots of headaches. Yes, just flags everywhere. So two highly I think they're the two high sc- highest scoring midfielders Salah and Son they're away Trent Alexander-Arnold is out for three weeks which could just be one match looking at the schedule because game week 21 incorporates this winter break stretched yeah. out over two weeks which of course brings its own problems because we're only going to get half the press conferences and naturally 
it's the half that we're probably not as keen on. So situations <laughs> like Jared Bowen, I'm a Jared Bowen owner. Uh, he could be out for a month, according to a couple of articles online, but we won't hear from Moise. So I genuinely don't know. No. Um, and all this is coming up. Ivan Tony's back from his long ban. Haaland may or may not be. I think that's one thing we might find out before the deadline. If, if I think Pep's we'd have more feeling... chance. Yeah, it depends yeah. on how Pep's feeling, doesn't it? And we maybe would have more chance if the deadline had stayed on Saturday. But with the deadline moving earlier, it makes these decisions even harder now because you have to act quite quickly on the back of those press conferences on Friday. So my team's just a mess. It's an absolute mess. Thankfully, I've got two goalkeepers. So, you know, maybe I'll just play both of them, stick one of them in defence. But no Trent, no Salah and no Sun, and no Haaland. If Haaland's all fit, I don't have an easy route to him. I mean, I can get there with a minus four. But how, like, but it's that selling of players and making those decisions. So I, in my back of my head, I've got about four or five different strategies, of things that could happen depending upon what is said in press conferences on Friday afternoon. One of those things is a wild card because if anyone else gets ruled out and Haaland's ruled back, then suddenly I've got to get Haaland because he's ruled fit. And I've got injuries left, right and centre. And I'd be taking out a fit player to bring back Haaland and having to take a minus four to move money around. So there is a bit of me in the back of my head that's going... I might need a wild card this week. I don't want to. I really don't want to play the wild card this week. It feels like a week of just, it's chaos. It's too spread over two weeks. I don't like the fact that I can't, I can't hear from the managers ahead of the second set of games. I don't like that. It, that stresses me as an FPL manager. I like as much information and as much time to make my decisions as possible. And this week feels like it's going to be a rush. And yeah, I don't, also, I was saying to you just before we started recording, it's my son's birthday party on Friday afternoon, of course, which coincides now with the FPL deadline, which it wasn't supposed to be. It was supposed to be Saturday morning deadline. Now I'll have 16 10-year-olds to contend with as the FPL mm-hmm. deadline passes. So I don't think that a wild card at that moment is is the best thing I've ever planned for. So hopefully I won't need it. But I think there will be a lot of managers that, you know, find themselves with players like Bowen, like Trent, like Sun, like Salah, maybe don't have a Haaland. Maybe they've got Grealish, who's now an issue because of Doku. Maybe they've got Huang still in their team. Like all of those different players who have now got flags or problems. Like even Gusto came off, didn't he, during the game in the League Cup? So there's all of that to consider. And if you're in that boat... The wild card is there for those moments, isn't it? Like we all like to use it strategically, but sometimes you just have, you open the app and it's just a wash with red flags and those red flags are kind of screaming at you. And if that's the case in your team, then don't mm. rule out the wild cards on the basis that you might need it later. I think sometimes needs must. Absolutely. It's, it's, it, it does sort of feel that if we're all in this together, it could just be one of those weeks where, it's just a survival week where just get 11, 11 players out, try not to take a hit and just hope that you pick the right captain. Because as we'll come to in a bit, like this is genuinely a, a week where the, your captaincy could be a massive differential because there's no Salah or Haaland yeah. or anything like that. So, you know, even if you only sort of get 10 men out, if you have the right captain, it, it could be a green arrow in the end. So it's just there. Uh, it's frustrating because I think by game week 22, which is, two and a half weeks after this deadline, I think we'll yeah. have so much more information. Um, you know, hopefully there'll be some double game weeks announced and then we'll know what the League Cup final will be, how the teams are doing in the international tournament. We'll have so much by then. But right now, I mean, I think, I think is it 750,000 have already bought Jared Bowen like early for this game week and he's out and he's not the only... <laughs> Player like that, it's it's just players have fallen by the wayside. So, as an owner of both Salah and Son, who are your favorite candidates to temporarily replace them? Are you eventually bringing them both back in, or is that maybe wild card time? So, the plan before the chaos that was this week was to continue to have Salah in my team because I know full well that as soon as Salah gets off that plane from Afghan. He's straight back in the Liverpool team and he I will want him straight back in my FPL team. So 
in my mind, I was like, you know, this is a transfer that maybe I can avoid. I've got a lot of value in him. I think I had 0.5 invested in him. Obviously, he's taken a price drop. Um, but that's a lot of money. He's got to drop a lot over the next three weeks or so in order for, for me to not be better off financially in terms of team value by holding him. So my original plan was to keep Salah as my third sub to sell Sun because by the time Sun is coming back from the Asian Cup, I fully expect James Madison to be back for Spurs as well. And James Madison is significantly cheaper than having Sun. And so in terms of balance of budget across my team, if I want to have Trent as well, the easiest thing for me feels to be able to have Madison back rather than Sun. When I doubled up on Spurs and had Sun and Madison, it was supposed to be a very short-term thing. And it ended up being quite short-term because Madison got injured and I had to sell him. But the plan was originally to hold Madison and sell Sun. So that's where my head was. I would sell Sun this week, um, use that probably to, well, and there's this is where this is where the Haaland dilemma comes in because I spent last my Haaland money which was sitting in my bank buying Trent Alexander-Arnold which has catastrophically backfired now because he got the naught points against Arsenal it was my second free transfer that I used to get him in had I not done that I'd have still had the free transfer and I'd have had one less issue to deal with this week but we are where we are with it I also now don't easily have the money to move to to Haaland from Alvarez so I'd need to either downgrade Sung quite significantly to like, either somebody like a, a Garnacho, don't quite have to go quite that low, but really significantly, or take some money out of both Trent and Sun in order to upgrade Alvarez to Haaland. If Haaland's not available, life is a lot easier yeah. because I can just I can just make my decision um and go with whoever I want from Sun and, and maybe it's a come down slightly from Sun and then next week I come down from Trent and move forward um in that way but it feels it all feels so up in the air mark to be honest it's going to depend so much on what these managers say on friday afternoon in their press conferences yeah yeah even as a manager here with with sort of two free transfers it it still feels like just not in a position to to make a decision and now that the deadline is as you say like on the same like hours after these press conferences, it's just not enough time. Like for various reasons, I really mm-hmm. hope that Haaland doesn't make it. Me too. For the, for the it would make Newcastle life game. so much better. It would, it would make life better. And for a Newcastle, well, to be fair, Man City, they're going to be Man City regardless. <laughs> but um, the only hope is if if Pep does pass Haaland fit, there won't be enough time for his ownership to, to get big and can sort of risk not having him for that match and hope that like, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because in it originally my plan before the Haaland drama kicked off was to go from Sun to Bowen over the international break, uh, over the international tournaments. Now, of course, Bowen's injury means that he's no longer a viable option. Mm-hmm. And I know we haven't had like firm, concrete word on him in the same way that we've had on Paqueta being out for a month, but it doesn't feel great. And it's not a player that now I'd want to invest in at all. I wanted the other kind of, thought I'd had was to go to Jota but the Trent news yesterday has really put me off investing in Liverpool to be honest because I think without Salah they'd already lost that spark without Jota as well I think they stand to lose just I worry that that sorry without Trent as well I worry that they just they lose that momentum that Jota needs and that Diaz needs and I just don't think that Liverpool will be losing Salah and Trent at the same time is so problematic for Liverpool. Like in my mind, that feels really a real struggle and we'll see. I mean, they've got a game this evening in the League Cup, so we'll be able to watch them against Fulham and see how they get on and see what that team looks like. Um, I do worry a bit about them and going away to Bournemouth is not an easy fixture anymore. It's really not. So, I'm looking at Liverpool now thinking, mm, I don't really like that. Pascal Gross is the is the one that stands out to me. That I, lo- I like the Brighton fixtures a lot. Haven't had a Brighton player since a Stupinian back at the beginning of, of the season. Um, 
so he for me weirdly feels like the standout pick right now yeah the, 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 i think the, the only thing that might put people off is is that it might not feel glamorous is it when you've got like it's not Gordon sexy is it of a charles and like other names like that uh, yeah it's it's gross doesn't stand out but it, the, the fixtures are fantastic for for a while he's nailed on an attacking team set pieces he's number two for chances created over the whole season so behind fernandez so there's so many reasons to go for gross the only thing that might hold him back is that brighton play the, the last match of the, the last game. game yeah 10 days after the deadline so that's a long time for something to go wrong but it, it um, is, it is, and that would be a very me thing to happen. Like I would far rather use my transfer to bring in somebody that's playing this weekend. So yeah, that would be my prior, would be my preference. Yeah, I just I think my my issue with going for a Foden, and and I get that. Like, and a lot of managers are are doing that. Like he's been highly bought in. He's the second most transferred in player this game week so far. Nearly eight hundred thousand managers going for Foden, and he's had a price rise. I have Alvarez in my team and he's the placeholder for the Haaland slot and I kind of feel like if I go for Foden am I causing myself further future like in the back of my mind I'm kind of overthinking it I think a little bit which is am I causing myself a problem a little bit more down the line because obviously I'm expecting Alvarez's minutes and position on the pitch to be affected when both KDB and Haaland start playing again I don't think he will rush either of them back. I don't like particularly KDB. I think we will see what we've been seeing lately. We have these managed, very, very managed minutes and he'll come off the bench quite a lot. But when that happens, it does have an impact on Alvarez. And I worry that that will be a thing moving forward. So he won't stay. By getting in Foden, I also worry somewhat that when KDB and Haaland do start together... Might we see Foden's position? I don't think we'll, he will lose his spot. I'm not saying that, but I do worry that his position on the field will change and we won't see him in that number 10 slot that's been so good for him in the last couple of weeks. Like I, I think Foden has been unleashed in the last two game weeks or so where he's been playing in that much more advanced position through the middle, which is where he's been saying for years is his best position and he wants to play. But the way that Manchester City has set up and the personnel that they have has meant that he hasn't really been able to to play in the slot that he would have ideally wanted to. Now, he's had that opportunity lately. He's done incredibly well. But look, when De Bruyne and Haaland are back, there's a good chance, I think, that his position will, it will change on the pitch. And so that worries me. Now, for the next couple of weeks, probably fine. And maybe this is where my overthinking comes in because at a point where it's not fine anymore, that probably coincides with the wild card anyway. So I can just deal with it at that point. But I don't know. I'm just not sure. It's, there's those Kevin De Bruyne quotes where he has bit like heavily hinted that he doesn't expect to start many games. He said he's going to probably be on the bench, didn't he? Yeah. Um, not just for Newcastle, but beyond that. So his expectations for minutes are low. But you would still, despite that, think he is going to get back into that lineup uh, enough times to to put forward and risk. He has looked majestic, Ford, and but. Yeah, it could be maybe slightly. It's just, I think, the late. positional thing, isn't it? If he puts him in a different position, is he as effective? as he, Because he's been smashing it in FPL. Like the last couple of weeks, absolutely outstanding. And I've been so impressed with him, like watching him play, his position, like everything's been so good. But is he always there? If he's there for one week, am I giving myself a problem? in two game weeks time because as you say because we're in this winter break period there will be then a big gap and that big gap is really useful for KDB and for Harlan in terms of getting back up to strength and speed so there is this worry to me that comes with game week 22 isn't five days after six days seven days after it's a substantial period of time after so could we see quite a change in the way that Manchester City are between game week 21 and game week 22? Yeah, we could. Do I think KDB will start? Probably not. Do I think he'll come on and get more minutes every week? Yeah. So do I think that this is a problem for Foden straight away? No. But am I building myself a problem? Maybe. And as somebody that's already got so many problems with flags and Alvarez and everything else, do I want to add to another 
And that's that's where my decision making's got to come in is am I going for the short term or am I trying to pick somebody slightly more long term? Because Foden for me feels like somebody for the here and now, for the next couple of game weeks, that's going to be great. Nice fixtures, you know, great form. But come game week 24, 25, 26, later on, I've still got gross if I go for him in that lovely run of fixtures. And yes, it's not as fun. It doesn't seem as fun. But getting Foden and having a Man City attacker, that's all the things you want in FPL, isn't it? Like, that's what we want as FPL managers. Like, we want the sexy picks from those big clubs. Pascal Gross doesn't feel Mm. like that. But yet he might be with the way that Brighton attack over the next few weeks. Totally. The sexy picks thing is spot on because I think this is such an opportunity because Salah and Son are so highly owned that you're not often, unless you've captained one of them, you're not getting a lot of gain from their hauls. And now this is potentially four weeks of just having a, a free run and just picking someone exciting for a few weeks probably low owns and it, it could just be a huge opportunity to to burst up the the rankings in the mini leagues and and yeah like with that in mind someone like Ford and does sort of you're sort of dreaming of the double digits there and Ross is very capable of doing that but yeah it sort of doesn't have the glamour the fact that we've got this far and not sporting about Richarlison does that <laughs> mean you're not you're, you're a bit cold on him as an option especially now Werner's arrived yeah, I am a bit, to be honest. Um, I have been saying for a few weeks that I worry a little bit about Richarlison. Like, Richarlison, actually, to be fair, he's been in good form. He's been returning really well. Uh, Lee took a punt on him a few weeks ago because he didn't he didn't want to get Sun because Sun was going off to AFCON and he was like, uh, sorry, to the Asian Cup, and he was like, I want to get... Um, I want to get a Spurs attacker, but I don't feel I can go to Sun, but I need to try and kind of invest in that Spurs attack because we, you know, we were scoring goals. And so he went for Richarlison and actually that's worked out better than having Sun over the, that period of time. But I just felt, and, and Richarlison was definitely still on my watch list until the Burnley game. And then the game against Burnley, I sat and I watched that in the FA Cup and I was like, wow, the attack is in the mud without Sun. And I think that was for two reasons. I think one, there's there was a lack of leadership up there. The leaders were all in the defence and up until Bentoncourt, who is a fantastic, fantastic leader. But he's not he's not part of that attack in the same way that you that Sun is, you know, and, and Sun isn't the kind of I'm gonna go out there and shout at you all leader, but he's important in that unit and in the way that they go forward. And you're reliant then on players that have been, for whatever reason, playing kind of bit parts in the Spurs team for the last couple of years. Obviously, Brennan Johnson is is relatively new, arrived this season, has done really well. And I've been impressed by him. But his position moves depending upon who else is on the pitch with him. Kudasevsky, who came in a couple of years ago and, and was absolutely unbelievable until he got injured. And then he's kind of been a bit in and out. This season, I think he has improved his game markedly. And when he's in the number 10, I think he is really impressive. Like, I really like him playing in that number 10 position. But of course, that number 10 position is only there for so much longer with James Madison's um, arrival back in the team kind of looming in the horizon. And then there's Richarlison, who... He's just frustrating. He's really, really frustrating from an FPL perspective and from a Spurs fans perspective because the amount of opportunities that that man gets and they end up somewhere ridiculous or they end up in the back of the net and then the flag is up for offside and all of that kind of stuff. I just, I wasn't, he's always frustrated me. And so that put me off. Watching them against Burnley really put me off because it was like, it relied on a Pedro Porro wonder goal to get us through in the in the cup we were not good we did not play particularly well to say the least then the news came about Werner and it literally came like overnight like I didn't didn't see it at all like and it and it was like oh we're getting Werner oh no we've got Werner like it it happened it felt oh. like within a couple of hours that suddenly like Ange and if you listen to Werner he's like oh I spoke to Ange for two minutes on the phone and I want said I wanted to come and it's like okay 
I'd love to know what he says to these players that, you know, makes them. Well, James Madison told us actually, didn't he? He told us that he said, you know, whether you want to be part of my project or not, you're going to see a different Spurs. And James was like, I want in. Like, and I, I seem feels like he's probably said the same thing to Werner. Now, Werner at Chelsea, well, he wasn't exactly setting the world on fire. However, what I will say is that he isn't isn't like that in Germany. When he's been playing for Leipzig and the you know, couple of spells that he's had over there, he's been really good. And I do think that the Spurs system is kind of built for a player like him. Like he's quick. We will play to his strengths. So depends on where Postacogli plays him as to the impact that he might have on Richarlison. And this is my mm. slight issue. Like I think he will put... Werner out in Son's position while Son is like he'll put him out wide while Son is away and Richarlison will stay through the middle the question I have is that when Son comes back from the Asian Cup where does he go who loses out is it Brennan Johnson is it Kulisevsky is it Richarlison I don't think it's Kulu Son could go middle Richarlison could be the one that misses out they could put them either side of Richarlison and Brennan misses out. They could put them, and whilst Cooley sits in behind, they could, it's, it feels a bit like I want to watch Spurs before I, mm. with, with him there, before I would invest in Richarlison. I think if you've got Richarlison, you hold him. I'm just not convinced that I would go all in investing in him this week because I actually do think that next week Werner might be a better option depending upon how he's priced because he's probably going to be a forward he's surely not going to be an expensive forward yeah that's that's it one thing that well that 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 solves the uh Salah and Son issue Werner if he's a if he's a forward but Richarlison I think he's been subbed off he's been taken off early quite often like yeah. If you look on uh, on FPL, he's he's often substituted in this sort of 60, 70 minutes mark. And if, if you did think, well, this is the spell where he will get 90 minutes because there's not many options around. Well, that's already, Werner Sinan's already added a body to it. How, how soon is Madison back, do you think? Is it, well, it weeks? It was supposed away? to be, yeah, it was supposed to be January. He is back in training. Not with the squad, though. But then we have seen that Postacoglu tends to leave back training with the squad until they're almost ready to go. Like with Van der Ven, he was back training with the squad, like not very many days before suddenly he was back in the squad. Like he doesn't seem to be like, oh, you come back training with the squad and then two weeks later you're available for selection. It does feel like you train with the squad, you're available for selection. Like they wait until they are ready. Yeah. Um, I... Don't think we'll see Madison in 21 or in 22. My suspicion is it'll be game week 23. I think we will see Madison. I hope we will see Madison before the Asian Cup and AFCON end. Again, so that that already puts Richarlison, his days kind of numbered because if if early February, Sun and Madison come back at the same time, Werner's signed. That sort of limits Richarlison as an option. I just think it, it could he could be a problem. He's not going to be a problem for the next couple of weeks. And so if your strategy is wildcard game week 23, 24, 25, maybe Richarlison's actually a fine pick. But if your strategy isn't that, or if you're unsure when you want to wildcard, or if there's any... So for me, I absolutely know James Madison's fit. I want him in FPL, don't want Richardson. So do I really want to go to Richardson only then to sideways move to Madison later? I don't know if I want to use my transfers in that way. Yeah, and Spurs at the weekend go to Manchester United. Any, yeah. of, the, any of their midfielders as a complete outside of pick? Uh, Fernandez or Ganacho? I like uh, Ganacho. Yeah, Ganacho is one I'm looking at because Ganacho gives me the money for Alvarez to Harlem. So... Suddenly I'm like, okay, if I do Sun to Garnacho, I can go Alvarez to Harlem. And if I do that, obviously that makes me feel a lot better. It's a minus four. Do I love bringing in Garnacho against Spurs? Absolutely not. Do Spurs regularly keep clean sheets? No, they are. They don't. They're not, they're not solid defensively. We've seen that. The only times that they're solid defensively is when both Romero and Van der Ven are partnered together in front of Vicario. 
and then they're solid. That won't be the case in game week 21. Van der Ven will start against Manchester United. I'm fairly confident of that. We won't see Romero though. Um, So will we be better at dealing with them going forward? Yes, because what Van der Ven gives us that nobody else can is the speed. So he gives us the ability to play the high line well because he has the ability to get back and clear the ball, which is how he did his hamstring in the first place against Chelsea. However, none of our other defenders have that. So we've been playing this makeshift back line of of Ben Davis, who actually I think has been excellent. I've Mm. been really impressed with Ben Davis, given centre-back isn't his preferred position. He's played it enough times for Wales, but it's not his preferred position. And I think he's been outstanding covering there. And then Emerson Royale, who actually, to be fair to him, hasn't done too badly, even though he looks like a duck of water, out of water most of the time in that position. But you put Van der Ven back in there alongside Ben Davis. It will require Ben Davis to play on the wrong side. Yeah, left but it's Which is not ideal. However, I think that's what will happen. We are looking at signing a new centre-back. Fabrizio Romero was talking about that this morning. So that seems like that's going to happen. Um, but you know, defensively, we should then have somebody who can get in and deal with the Manchester United attackers. They will want revenge because obviously we've beaten them once already this season, but I just don't... You never know what you're going to get with Manchester United, do you? They're so Jekyll and Hyde at the moment. Sometimes they turn up, like in the second half against Aston Villa, where I was really impressed and I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, times have changed. Like, maybe whatever he said to them at half-time seems to be working. Flip that a week and I'm watching them in game week 20 and it's like where's that team gone you know that did did so well against Aston Villa and yeah even even against Wigan in the FA Cup like I didn't I didn't think they were great in that competition so we'll see Garnacho would be the one I would choose the others I just think are too expensive they're too much money to spend on players that just aren't consistently performing Whereas if you want to change up the way your your structure is and have Garnacho as your fifth midfielder, at what is he, 4.8 million, he yeah. feels like a nice, cheap option. That's what I really like about him. The fact that if if you're intending to get Haaland in alongside Watkins and Solanke, that suggests that maybe a 3-4-3 is uh is the way is the way forward for that team. Yeah. And therefore Garnacho, he sort of fills the role as cheap fifth midfielder but he's also in form with fixtures who can fill in that short-term gap with yeah, those two guys. Agree. I, I think he rotates quite well with Palmer fixtures wise when, when like everybody's back, if you've got like eight attackers, including Palmer and Garnacho that they go okay together. So uh, yeah, he ticks a lot of boxes there. And I was looking into him statistically since he's on like a lot of starts in a row. I think it's 11 league starts in a row. Since game week 13, he's overall number th- number four in the league for box touches. He's on the second most shots and the second most shots in the box since game week 13. Like amongst all prices, all positions, he is a superb option. And I actually think speaking about it out loud, as we get closer to Friday deadline, I could really see myself going for him in a way. But we've sort of talked ourselves out of some of the other assets and, and he just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I think so. It's, it, for me, I honestly feel like it's a choice between going for Garnacho and going for Pascal Gross. Like, yeah. they feel like they're my two options this week. Um, and one of them will come in for Sun. It's just which one. I, I just don't think I'll end up going Foden because I've already got Alvarez. Um, and it's Newcastle. Like, it's not an easy game. Right? I know that Newcastle, you know, you watch them often enough. They've not been great lately. I, I take all of that on board, but they're not terrible like they're not they can perform well they can when they want to and defensively there is a clear there is a clear defense that how wants to play like a clear personnel deployment across the back line that he really wants to go with and when they're all there and they're all fit I would expect them to perform better than they have been in recent weeks so I, I guess I'm just hoping for no Harlem because that would make my life a lot easier in terms of FPL decision making. But if that happens, that does make Foden a really attractive option as well. So, and then I wouldn't necessarily have him either. So the whole thing feels game week 21, to be honest, Mark, it just feels challenging. 
I'd really love if it wasn't for all these extra injuries that have come up. I'd really love to have just used one of the two free transfers, knowing that by the next one, give me twenty two, we'll have so much more information, and it, I'd feel mm. a sensible thing to have two for that. But there's so much, so many flags, and I've got Bowen as well, so that's four. Mm. That's him, I've got, I've got Charlie friends. Taylor who did his shoulder against Spurs. Like same as another. So it, two just... is needed to just get eleven players out. That's the thing at the moment. I've got Sun and Salah. I've got Trent. They're all red flagged. None of them are playing. I've got Charlie Taylor, who's yellow flagged. Judging by how he left the pitch at Spurs on Friday evening, I'd be surprised if he makes it, but we'll have to see see what Vincent Company's got to say in his press conference. And then if anybody else says anything else about any of my... And this is the fear, isn't it? Suddenly I'm looking at the rest of my team going... Everyone else is right, okay? Like, no one else is going to be ill because we saw that last week. Players just going down with illnesses and missing out. Please, no, none of that. I can't have anyone else injured in training or, you know, injured in a game. Like, it, it does feel like you are... I was watching the Chelsea game last night thinking, Palmer, I just get off this pitch and be in one piece because I really can't afford another flag. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of tweets or ex posts, whatever the equivalent for that is. Um, before the game, saying Palmer's definitely getting injured here, and the surprise was that he didn't. Although a few chances were missed, the, the, the silver lining of, of that last night was that at least Palmer is available. I, I suppose it goes about saying that out of all those replacements we've mentioned, if you don't have Palmer or Saka already, they should probably come in for Salah and some before these guys, but they are quite highly owned. Yeah. We should also promote our site's in-depth coverage of the AFCON and Asian Cup fantasy games because that's right, more fantasy football, allowing managers to fill in the gap of a quiet-ish January in FPL. <laughs> so <laughs> if that exists, I don't know. <laughs> um, our expert, Lewis, has already written articles covering the AFCON games rules, premium players. He's put a fixture ticker up there. There's also a collection of various people's first drafts and similar is coming up for the Asian Cup fantasy over the week. So it's definitely worth checking out fantasy football community for that. In terms of our our own team's plans for the week, I guess we've spoken in depth about our transfer <laughs> situation, our flag situation. But our chaos. Yeah, the, <sighs> the chaos. The captaincy is so tough as well because not a lot is standing out. I don't know if you feel similar with that. There's no... I do, yeah. Even some of the names left over, like, like Watkins and Saka and stuff like that... It's not like Watkins is away at Everton that, that that has a different reaction these days and Arsenal at home to Palace possibly. But then the Man City guys are at Newcastle, Palmer at home to Fulham possibly. It's the lunchtime kickoff though. Like yeah. just Chelsea in the lunchtime kickoff. But I, I, I don't know. I Honestly, I look at my team and I don't know. There's not, there's not a standout captain. There really isn't. Salah at home to uh, Salah away to Bournemouth is the is the standout captain in my team, and of course he's not going to be there. So I think the captaincy might end up landing. There, there is a world here where I bring in Pascal Gross and Estupinian and Captain Gross, but it's a gap because it's the very last game of the game week, and if I do that. The vice captain has to go with somebody who's playing in game week, the first week of game week 21. Mm. So, you know, hand it to a, I don't know. I look at, I just don't know. Like the, when I look at my team, there's nobody that, like you say that I'm really loving, like maybe I give it Watkins because Everton can be, it can be Jekyll and Hyde. Maybe I give it Alvarez because, Newcastle can be leaky defensively. Maybe I give it to Palmer because that's probably the nicest fixture. And it obviously depends on what we see from Fulham tonight in the League Cup against Liverpool. If they get any injuries, then maybe that makes that more attractive. But I do, like, I, I quite like Saka for the captaincy. But it's next week. And do I want to leave my captain for next week? And if I do, then then I think you have to vice-captain someone in week one. That feels like the only way I would feel comfortable captaining in week two. And it would have to be someone who is likely to either start or not play at all. Someone yeah. who, uh, you know, if, if Gross doesn't start, is he is he really going to come on as a substitute? It's it's probably because he's 
completely out. So yeah, otherwise there might have to be a bias towards captaining someone in those first five games. But yeah, nobody's really standing out at all, um, which could be exciting. I, I could certainly not imagine a time when captaining Cole Palmer was uh, at his price. If you said if you mentioned that in August, I would never have. Uh, this week feels like that, a week but... where there's not going unless Pep says Harlan's available. It feels mm-hmm. like a week where people won't there won't be an obvious captain because Salah's not here, Son's not here, Harlan's not here. Potentially, if Harlan's here, suddenly you, I think that there's a more obvious captaincy choice because he's playing in week one as well. Like if Pep says Harlan's fit, then everything I've said on this pod goes out the window because I've basically got to just get Harlan in and then I'll captain him. Yeah, but then but then depends on what time, what time on Friday Pep's press conference is because the deadline is on the evening, people are working and if if people don't see a, a positive update on, on Harland until the final minutes before the deadline, not enough time to think about that. So yeah, is his ownership going to build? We just don't know. There's, there's so many uncertainties about not just him but the whole weekend coming up so yeah and we did ask for a couple of quick questions from the fantasy football community um on twitter so one of them and it can just be quick answers as well do you do you intend to buy ivan tony at any point or is he too expensive oh i don't think he's too expensive no i don't i don't think he's too expensive i think actually he's quite nice price to be honest um he's taken a price drop obviously this season i think he's 7.9 so Feels good. Um, I don't think I'm going to buy him this week, though. So I, my concerns with with Tony are on match fitness. So obviously, it's been eight months since he's played a football match. He's been training. He's been to the gym. I'm sure he's highly fit. But there's something very different being fit and being match fit and being able to play at Premier League standards straight away for 90 minutes. Now, Brentford really need Tony with Visser out, with Embuemo. Like They really need Tony to be peak Tony. I was also a little bit worried about his headspace in terms of like he's getting linked with so many other teams, particularly with Arsenal in the recent weeks. Where's his head? Is his head still at Brentford or is it somewhere else? fear that less now after those comments that he made about wanting to repay Brentford um, for their support and all of that. So yes, I'm interested. I don't think he's too expensive, but I do not want to do it this week. Like that feels like I want to wait a week and I want to watch him play and see how fit he actually is. Yeah. Those comments would, it would certainly have altered that. In fact, in terms of narrative, you know, if, if someone could buy him in and captain him, in this game week, you know, it could be set up for him to score the comeback goal. Oh, can you imagine? Um, yeah, which would be interesting. It'd be the differential of a lifetime, that. But it's the match fitness issue and Brentford's form is... And if he was a midfielder as well, I think. If he was a midfielder, I might have been more inclined to take the punt. But because that's where my issues are. That's where Sun and Salah and Huang and the players that people have got that are injured, that's where they are. Most people don't have issues in the forward line. And if they do, that's because they want Harlan. Pretty much. And you, the other question that we've got, you've, I guess you've already mentioned him in passing, but how essential is, is Purvis' opinion? Because he's mm. already come back and kept a clean sheet and scored two goals from outside of the box. And he's a defender. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I know that um, Linda's yesterday was talking about potentially three or four weeks for Trent. But that wasn't like a, that wasn't like a firm thing in his when he was talking he was like and we hope and I, and that word hope I, I've heard that a lot this season with Spurs with injuries Ooh. and we hope and I go and I go oh yeah we do hope we hope they're back immediately because we've got issues um but I don't think that I want to hop I've got no value in Trent absolutely none because I only bought him in last week so if I sell him it, you know I'm getting the same value back that I spent and I instead could go down right to a Stupinian who's at a lovely price point. He's 4.9. Um, it allows me to invest in one of those players who you know as a defender wants to attack. So the Poros, the Trents, 
the Estupinians, they're the ones I want because clean sheets are so weird this year. Like we're just still not really getting them consistently. So when you're investing in the defence, you want to go for the defenders that are likely to keep those clean, those attacking returns and hope for a clean sheet. Now, Brighton kept their first clean sheet of the season in game week 20. That's baffling to me, given how good Brighton were last year. And they did that without Lewis Dunk, who was suspended. And obviously he'd be back. So I think we'll start to see a more solid Brighton defence. And the fixtures are great. There should be clean sheets in the next few weeks for a Stupinian. So you start to see it was a worldie of a goal against Spurs. It was an absolute world-class goal in the FA Cup as well. We start to see these attacking returns coming in alongside a clean sheet here or there. A Stupinian's price. It wouldn't surprise me if come game week 23, he's at 5.2, 5.3 million in the game because it's only going to take one clean sheet or one goal. So going from a Stupinian, mm-hmm. going from Trent to a Stupinian feels like a transfer I do want to make this week. I just I need some news on on Harlem, really. Yeah, I think of any... If a bigger time frame was given on Trent, if it was if it was more than three weeks, if you, if you said like a month or six weeks, that would be such a popular transfer. Mm. Um, I think it's a transfer I'll make anyway, though, to be honest. Yes, because if I do want to, to go back to Trent, completely. yeah, and and you know, by the time Trent's back, I keep talking about this potential wildcard, but it does feel like my preferred weeks of wildcarding are somewhere in and around game week twenty four when AFCON and Asian Cup are finished and we have all these players coming back because that will give me the opportunity to to set my team back up to have whichever ones it is that are coming back that I want back in there. And if Trent's out for three weeks, then I'm not far off that wildcard point anyway. So at that stage, I might as well sell him now, knowing that it's only probably four weeks down the line that I might look to get a whole new team on wildcard anyway and I'll just bring him in then. Well, that's probably a good place to wrap things up anyway. It's been a pleasure to have you on this pod, Sam. Thanks for your expertise, as always. And uh, please make sure to check out FF Community's website, which, as we say, has a lot of AFCON and Asian Cup fantasy uh, football articles up there right now. So it's definitely worth checking out. Also, give us a follow on Twitter at FFCommunity underscore. And we hope you join us next time. Thank you very much for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.